Hey everybody, welcome to the Jen Carroll Podcast. Let's get started. I knew it was going to be a tough night to sleep. I had felt the dread building into the evening, and so I decided that half a Xanax would help. Not really. When the clock flipped to 1.30 a.m., I was still talking to myself. I need sleep. I have to be up early. I was afraid the alarm wouldn't ring, the traffic into Sacramento would be awful, and I'd be late and miss the whole thing. At some point after that, I finally fell asleep, and then morning came fast. Today would be the day I would see Joseph D'Angelo for the first time in person. My instructions were to meet the victim services person, her name was Anne, at 8.15 at the H Street garage. Somehow I managed to get there a few minutes early, and that gave me a chance to get a bit nervous. I can't believe I was early. I thought for sure, I know Sacramento traffic, I thought for sure I was going to be hung up. But I don't know how it happened, but I got there on time, and Anne showed up just a few minutes later, and away we went to Superior Court Department 61. I didn't realize that the courtroom was part of the jail. So when Anne said, we're going right there, that's the jail. And I thought, okay, that's fine, but we're going to court, right? For me, court has always been the courthouse, the courtrooms. But in this case in Sacramento, they do have three courtrooms inside the prison, inside the jail there. So I didn't realize the courtroom was part of the jail and and we had to get through security to turn everything off and you have to take you know, your metal off and put it in the plate and everything. This would become uh, kind of hysterical later as our squad started getting bigger and bigger. But at this point, there were still a small group of us. So it was pretty harmless to get through security other than the hassle of it. And we were treated very, very kindly by everyone. I realize this is at the jail, so they probably don't treat everybody as kindly as they treated us, but they were very kind to us. So we snaked our way through the hall and we were hearing people asking, just the regular people asking reporters what the heck was going on. There were reporters everywhere. They were outside, they were inside. And I could imagine if you were there for a regular case, just wanting to get your arraignment done so you could get bail and get out of there, it probably looked so intimidating. All you could hear was this mutter of the East Area Rapist as the reason for why all the people were there. And it was 8.25 in the morning. And we walked through the doors of the courtroom. They let the victims in first, or the survivors, or whatever you want to call us. But they let us in first. They had us. Well, that we, we could sit anywhere in the gallery, but they had us sit on the side that would, like a wedding, that would make you feel like it was um, on the bride or groom side, depending on how that works. I guess the groom is usually on the right and the bride is usually on the left. I've never been married. I don't know these rules, but we were sitting on the left. The courtroom was really small and the cage that was there was on the, I'm sorry, we were sitting on the right. Gosh, why am I so bad at this? I'm literally holding up my right hand as I talk to you and I still say the wrong thing. Anyway, we were sitting on the right. That's where I think the groom side is. That's the side they told us to sit on. That was considered the air quotes prosecution side of the courtroom. On the left was this cage and it was kind of this 1970s decor, this real wood, fake wood stuff and this utilitarian carpet everywhere. And then there were large calendars, kind of you know, big kind of um, bureaucratic very utilitarian calendars on the walls that were marking off where the uh, holidays were and obviously where they couldn't set a court date. And then the clock was in the back and 
we were in there at 835. Court didn't start. We didn't know this court didn't start till nine. We thought it started at 830. So we watched this clock tick down as we were taking it all in. And I was really trying to take in everything because I just thought, well, this is never going to happen again. I want to see every part of this part in front of us where the tables are and the lawyers are and everything's kind of a mess. I get it. There's still a lot of paper involved in court work. And so there was binders and things piled up and it was pretty messy. And we didn't know at this point that D'Angelo was going to be coming out into the cage. What had happened in the arraignment, of course, is they had wheeled him out from his wheelchair from the back where the judge comes out. And that's, you know, kind of the back working area before people walk into the courtroom. We had thought absolutely that he would be coming in from that back. So for us to sit on that right hand side of the courtroom and be ready to see him, I thought it'd be fine. Like we were ready. I sat in the first seat in the front row and seated next to me was the woman who was raped on June 18th. I didn't know that she was first in terms of us, and she may not be first at all, but in terms of keeping track of the East Area rapist and everything, I didn't realize she was considered rape number one. She was so sweet. And we sat together and she was shaking and she had brought her friend. I just felt so honored to be sitting there with her. As, as that was happening, she had brought her best friend for moral support. But when she told me she had brought her friend for moral support, she said, I brought her for moron support. Well, I, of course, thought she meant her friend was the moron. But in fact, she meant herself was the moron. It was a self-deprecating joke. I kind of missed that. But it was this, I, it just caused this laugh, which was really needed to break the silence and the, and the nervousness that was going on. So I thought it was, I thought it was great. And then I met a close friend of Debbie Domingo's who I at that time wanted to know much more about. I've since gotten to know her, but her name is Melanie and she was a spitfire and she had brought photos of the victims that she held up. She brought all the murder victims. And then there were some more people next to her and I didn't get their names very well. And I'm not so good at names, but in fact, I've met them all again now since time has passed. But that day, it just was um, people that I knew had some connection to the case and who were there for the same reasons I was. When we were settled and ready, we being the victims and the people and our support people, everyone else was held outside until just a little before 9 a.m. The attorneys trying the case, the prosecutors introduced themselves to us, you know, shook hands with us. Our attorney, our the prosecuting attorney, was dressed in a black sheath dress and a jacket and a simple string of pearls. It was very elegant. It was in very stark contrast with D'Angelo's attorney, who was in a red sweater jacket and black slacks and a silver necklace. They were very, they both looked very striking and very prepared. And I think that, you know, I usually don't comment on fashion, but I thought it made an interesting juxtaposition. One of, one of the things I've noticed in courtrooms is that women still are wearing clothes that I would consider impractical and dated. So I was actually kind of happy to see D'Angelo's attorney wearing slacks and a sweater jacket because you can move in those kind of clothes. Women in suits, that is not comfortable. And any woman knows when you're in a suit, you're wearing heels. You might even have to be wearing stockings, which are really old fashioned and you can't move and women have to move. That's just how we are. We're usually solving six problems at once. So movement is really important. And if any area of our current law could use some updating, it's women's clothing in the courtroom. Just notice it. You'll know, you'll see what I'm talking about. The most striking thing in the courtroom was the cage. You can see it in courtroom photos. I have some on the blog and you can see that the wheelchair was in front of the cage. It's an imposing sight. It's, it's this huge cage with a lock on the front that needs a key to open the barred door. And the bars are thick steel. And then if someone said, can we make this fit the motif? Some paneling has been added to the sides. 
you know, it brings the whole room together. Okay, I'm being facetious because some poor decorator is trying to figure out how to make a cage and a courtroom fit in. But they did. They did. They added some paneling and there it was. It's all fixed up and it's it fits in with the decor. The cage was empty and it is intimidating. I couldn't imagine what kind of criminal would need something so substantial unless someone was like having a meth trip or, you know, not sober, still raging on drugs. I couldn't imagine or actually really, really mentally ill why you'd need this level of security. But we're in the prison. I get it there's a cage. As both members of the legal team's bailiffs and the court staff moved from the courtroom to the back room, we assumed, of course, that's where D'Angelo would come from, because that's what happened last time. They thought they'd just, I thought he'd just be walked out and put in the cage if that's what they needed to do. But that's not what happened. I was completely wrong about what would happen next. The bailiff read the rules. There's, you know, oh, yay, oh, yay, court is now in session. No noise, no cameras, no recordings, no cell phones. Turn off your cell phones. And then he announces that the Honorable, I think in this case it was a woman, that the Honorable Judge Sweet was entering the court. And I'm not sure what they said next because the lawyers for the defense jumped up and moved towards the cage. And that's when I realized there was a door that opened into the cage through the side wall. And through that door, D'Angelo entered. Now, many things are happening really fast at this time because we didn't expect them from there. The woman I was sitting with, victim number one, she was scared to death and she was looking at the back door back where, where the judge had come out. And so we were prepared for him to enter there. And in fact, it was almost like a little tiny mini sneak attack, him coming out of the side like that without us knowing. I grabbed her hand and held tight because she was shaking. That really was something that we didn't expect. I, I just wish somebody would have told us that he would be coming out into that cage through damn door. Found out later there's an elevator that comes down right there. That's why it's figured out this way. And that's why it's part of the prison or part of the jail so they can just come right in and we don't have to worry about them at any point being unsecured. It makes sense now, now that I know. I just wish we would have known at the time. The defense team used their bodies to create a wall between D'Angelo and us. And all we could see at first was what appeared to be orange Crocs. <laughs> okay, just take a moment for insert your own Croc joke here. But I think it's kind of hilarious that prisons use Crocs. On the other hand, I actually will wear Crocs to the beach because they're the perfect sand shoe. So they do have their purpose, but it was pretty funny to see these orange Crocs. He was standing. You cannot sit there. And as I followed those bright orange shoes up his matching orange legs, I couldn't see much more after the legs. He was effectively blocked. And at the same moment I heard the door open, I had grabbed uh, the woman's next to me's hand and just held it because it, I knew it was horrifying for me to see him standing there. I knew it would be hard for her. And we actually held hands the whole time. The judge then listed off, Judge Sweet listed off what seemed like a rather insignificant number of motions and responses. And only one caught my attention. And it's funny because the stuff's going so fast and I don't even know how the reporters do it because I couldn't keep up. There's not a way to know actually what the heck is going on unless you have inside scoop because it's just happening fast. They all have the motions. The court reporter's taking down stuff, but they have the context. But those of us in the audience, we don't have context and we don't know what all these things are that's happening. But the thing that grabbed my attention is that there was a third lawyer there representing the media. And they rattled off some of the media entities, including the New York Times, the American Broadcasting Company, AP News. There were others that were mentioned. I did them, didn't get them all. But um, the reason that the media had a lawyer is they wanted to make sure that things weren't going to be redacted as part of the search warrants and the searches of his home. So they have two things. You have things on the warrant, which lists what you're looking for. And then, of course, you have what is recovered from the search, 
which is what is taken from his home. So I'll talk more about this, but that is why the media sent a lawyer because they wanted to make sure that the public had a right to know and that things would be shared with the public. The male attorney finally moved. D'Angelo's attorney who, this guy with a beard, he finally moved and we were able to see D'Angelo's profile. All I could think is there he is. That's him. He's just a man, an old craggy faced man. And he didn't look pleasant. He looked angry. He had whiskers on his face and his shoulders were slightly stooped. His mouth barely moved when he whispered to his female attorney. She appeared to be soothing him and making a point of touching him and talking very close. It looked intimate and it nauseated me. There is nothing in the lawyer handbook about mothering your client. I mean, sure, someone can go check the index, but I am 99% sure it's not there. And this is something that I found out later all of us noticed and were really bothered by. It was the way she was mothering. And, and like I said, I used the word intimate. She was so close. And we had all seen her touch him when he was in the wheelchair, but she was close again. And I just thought, oh my God, it's funny. How is she breathing his breath? That's all I could think is like that breath has done horrible things. And she's in his space so close that she's breathing his breath. As quickly as it started, the whole thing was over. The defense lawyers closed ranks again, and we could barely see him slip out the door. He was shuffling a little bit. I, I'm not sure if he was shackled on his feet or not, but one of the news stories said that he wasn't. And the reporters probably had a much better look than I did because they were on the left side of the gallery and I was on the right. I'm, I never made this mistake again, by the way. Being told to sit on the right, I was being obedient, which is, you know, not my strong suit. And so after that, I've always sat on the left side because you just can't see him good enough on the right. And those lawyers are working overtime to block us. So the number one question everybody always asks is, how does it feel? And there is, there's some video out there of me talking to ABC afterward, but, and I actually will talk about that in a minute, but how does it feel? How does it feel? How does it feel? Reporters are always asking that. And the problem with the question is it misses so many things because how does it feel really has to do with the context and the history and the assumptions and the reality. And maybe it's easier to describe two things I didn't expect to feel. The first was catching D'Angelo is not bringing us closure. That's just not how closure works. I I'm sorry that I've been saying this. I had been saying that for the last two weeks since he was caught. Everybody says, don't, I'm sure you now you feel some closure. Uh, don't you feel closure over this thing? I'm even using silly voices to mock the people that say that. No, it's not closure. Closure means something's done. You can put it away. This sucker is ripped open. It is the opposite of closure. And I guess beginning a beginning could work, but it kind of misses the nuance. It's like reopening an old wound. And everyone has said that since this has happened, that old wounds are open, that dreams are back, that we're thinking and remembering things of that age. So that's not closure. That's not the thing. The other thing is that having D'Angelo be caught has added a level of complexity to our lives that I just didn't anticipate. And I'm, I'll give you an example. How does one stay involved in a trial like this and work? The, you know, I was out on medical leave for this sucker to go get this done. I thought I was going back to work. I did not know what was going to happen the next day. I was thinking, oh my God, my brain is a jumbled mess right now. I don't know how this is. I'm going to work, do this. I had taken some time off. But I, this thing is not going to be months. This thing's going to be years. In fact, victim services told us plan on five years. So I don't know how this is really going to go in the long term. I'd love to stay in touch with the story. But I just thought, wow, this is actually, my life just got so complicated. The second feeling I had 
would be considered probably cognitive dissonance, but at a really kind of abstract level. So, you know, cognitive dissonance is when you kind of believe one thing and do another. It's that idea of, uh, I, I don't feel right about this and it, something feels wrong and you're not being able to align the thoughts in a meaningful way. So I was looking at this human being, another human being, a man I could possibly have passed on the street or at a grocery store and he could have been with his daughter or his granddaughter and I would have thought nothing of it like just no he just looked like an ordinary man you would see out in the world but this man this effing man had been alive in my mind as a monster for 38 years I just listened to seriously disturbed podcast and and Shannon talks about this idea of how when we don't know who it is we build these people up as monsters in our minds for sure that had happened to me. Not a monster like scary monster going to jump out at the boogeyman and scare me, but just a monster like a human that was not human, right? A person that was terrible. I don't know what I thought he would look like. I just didn't think he would look like a human being. And that is what maybe made me the most sad the first day I saw him because my, because this man was like a dad and a grandpa and nothing mattered to him. It just didn't matter. He had two things that many of us value more than life itself, kids and grandkids. And he didn't give a flying fuck. He risked everything. Even, uh, I'm sorry, it just bothers me that he was just willing to, to, to do all this crime. And he had the most special things. And all he did is he chose to leave destruction in his path. He's a brutal, evil, dark, compulsive man who left destruction. And no matter what happens now, we can't get back any of the goodness that's been lost. Everybody's lives have been changed. I'm not necessarily saying for the worse. People have done amazing things. These survivors are amazing women, but almost everybody has had some stuff they've had to deal with. Almost everybody's had to go to therapy. And if they haven't, they're thinking about going now. Almost everybody's had some form of PTSD. Uh, some huge, some not so huge, depending on their support systems and the help that they've gotten. And this guy did it to everyone. And now he's doing it to his kids and his grandkid. Like he doesn't give two fucks. That to me is so sad. I needed a couple days to write up the second part of seeing D'Angelo for the first time because the day uh, was a big day. It, there were a lot of things happened and I needed to drive home to Santa Cruz that day. So I was packing as much in with the people I was with as I could. So I didn't write the second part of the blog of seeing it Delangelo for the first time until a few days later. And I came home from Santa Cruz and I'll tell you everything I did the rest of that Monday, but I came home to Santa Cruz. I had a dream and it's a dream that I've had kind of since he was arrested and it, it comes, it goes back and forth. And I've actually now, now that much time has passed recording this in July, now that much time has passed, thankfully that dream has really kind of settled down. But the dream is that I was having was that I was Charlene and I was watching Charlene at the same time. So I've been both her and watching her having the way of kind of being an out of body experience in that mystical way that I could kind of commingle themes in a dream and I can feel his breath on me and the weight of his body. And I'm screaming and pushing him away because in my dream, my wrists aren't tied like her wrists were tied. But at the same time, I'm trying to help her to warn her that he's dangerous. And I have to force myself awake when I have this dream. When I can't fall back to sleep, I turn on Netflix and I stream Frasier because I love that show. And hearing their voices gives me the calmness I need to fall back to sleep. What I didn't expect 
the next morning, Tuesday morning, was to get a call from my CEO, where I was the VP of marketing, telling me, first he said, how did it go? Because he knew I'd gone up to see D'Angelo the day before. So I told him a little bit about how it went and how it was hard and like nothing I expected. And I'm such an idiot because I thought he was calling to check on me, but I'm a moron. No, after I told him how it went, he said, oh, I'm so sorry because I have more bad news for you. We're laying you off. Swear to God, that is how it went down. This man is such a dick. I was pretty bitchy and unbelieving that this is what he was going to do. And I, I didn't fight, but I just questioned him with a bunch of good, smart questions that he didn't have answers to as usual. Um, this man is not a good CEO. He's really not doing th things he should be doing. Yeah, I, I was caught off guard. I decided that was a day, a, a day drinking day. And I had uh, two margaritas and some street tacos. That was how it went for my day drinking. And then I decided to get back to the blog. What happened after we left the courtroom is that the media was outside waiting for us. And I knew that I was prepared for that. And I had seen in the courtroom before we had started the court session that somebody that I had met during the 2020 interview was there a producer producer was there her name is jenna and she was in the back of the courtroom and i got to tell you that had helped me that day seeing jenna there because we had had such a good time doing 2020 seeing her there had really lifted my mood and she said will you come with me and i said yeah and i went with her afterwards we did an interview over on a side street i didn't stop for any of the other media i just went over with uh, jenna and and met with them who were the old 2020 crew, to be perfectly honest, and did a post seeing D'Angelo for the first day interview. And that's on T you can get that on Google as ABC. It's on there. It's not that big of a deal. Essentially it said everything that I'm telling you right now, but uh, I really like that team that they're a good squad. And one of the people in their squad is a woman named Dia, who's more of a producer. And she said, Hey, can I buy you something at Starbucks. And I said, sure thing. And walked over to Starbucks with her over at the train station, which is amazing. That's new since I've been there. They had pulled me aside and said that there were some people trying to get me for interviews that were behind me at Starbucks. It's so weird to be followed by reporters, but I get it. You got to do you got you got to do to get the interview. So they were trying to keep me from them, which is kind of funny. Uh, just before I did the interview with the ABC team, I got a chance to talk with Duffy and Duffy is the lawyer for the media. And I, I interrupted her. She was leaving. And I said, excuse me, may I talk to you for a minute? And I said, I'm, I'm Jennifer Carroll from the Ventura murders. That always sounds so weird, but she acknowledged me. And I said, I just wanted to thank you for what you were doing because I, even though the defense is arguing that sharing information with the public, is going to taint the jury pool. I totally disagree. I, I get the merit of that argument for certain things, especially if the, the jury pool doesn't know anything that's going on. But at this point, these cases, this case in particular has such a reputation. I don't think this is going to be a big problem. You know, he, the magnitude of this case is massive. He called his victims. He taunted the police. And if the public has pre preconceived notions, I told her, this is pretty much his fault. And of course, I can hear my dad in my, head, in my head say, but Jenny, everyone has the right to a fair trial and an unbiased jury. And of course, I would have popped off to him and said, but dad, he's entitled to a jury of his peers. Where else are you going to find 12 other serial killers? Which then would have led to a long debate. My dad maybe appreciating my humor, maybe not so much. It depends. Yeah, these are the debates that go on in my head. My head is so noisy. I call it crashing thoughts. I have crashing thoughts all the time. Duffy was super, super friendly and seemed happy that I supported her position on the whole thing. And I'm, I'm hoping so far things have gone 
pretty well in other parts of this case. So I'm hoping that we're going to have as much access as we need to the information that they find. Over at Starbucks, when I was with Dia, one of the things that was really cool is I found out that she went to Sac State when I went to Sac State and we knew professors in common and we we're about the same age. So actually we had some real rapport and I really enjoyed spending time with her and she made me feel very comfortable. And now I know how that when you hear those reporters on TV and wonder how do they get this information that they get, it's because they get to know the subjects. They get to know that the people they want to talk to, because once you get to know people like me, I'm sharing more, I'm talking more and having a better time. And I'm telling you things that you can't necessarily report on, but you could certainly know where to go dig after I've shared that information. She asked me while we were having my strawberry acai, we, she asked me what a question I think is maybe one of the best questions anybody had asked me. And she said, what are we not covering in this story that we should be covering? And I have to say, it stopped me in my tracks. I mean, I was really happy to hear such a good question, but I thought, you know, I'm not the only person who might have an answer to this question. So still now, if you can think of something in this case that should be covered by the news that isn't being covered, let me know. Send me an email. I want to know this stuff. While I was at Starbucks, Bill Hardicon, my, my concierge, the guy who hooks me up and tells me what's going on in Twitter land, uh, sent me a text telling me that Allie Wolf from Fox 40 was looking for me. And so... I was able to call her and connect up with her for an interview that we did down at Fox 40 in South Sacramento later in the afternoon. Uh, Bill was, it was so smart. Bill was so smart to send me a text. It's probably the best way to get my attention. One of the things I've learned to do, and I mean, it's definitely been a learned skill, is I notice things. So as I'm sitting in the lobby waiting on Allie, out comes a mermaid. And the mermaid came out of the hallway, looked at me, and left the building. And I missed the photo and I'm really bummed because how often do you see a mermaid just come walking out? But then a group of dancers came bounding out and they were super, super bouncy. And I said, excuse me, but was that a mermaid? And the girls turned to me and without even blinking said, yep. And then went back to their bouncing. Well, I mean, what was I thinking? Of course it was a mermaid. <laughs> I missed the photo, but I got to see the mermaid. And then I went into the interview with Allie, who was great. I had never met her before. I really enjoy her. I know the people in Sacramento, especially around this case, have a lot of respect for her. And so I was super excited that I got to meet her and spend that time with her. And then of course I wanted to take a picture. And all I'm going to tell you is reporters got looks like they want to make sure that they look right in pictures and they want to look at the picture that you took of them and make sure it looks right. And I was laughing because I'm like, of course, this is your brand. Of course, you want to see how you look. So God love her. Thank you, Allie, for letting me take your picture. And then when I got in the car after talking with Fox 40, I got a call from the New York Daily News and Nancy Dillon, who I talked to a few times. And the first time I talked to her, it was so funny, but there was breaking news about the Cosby verdict. And this time while we were talking, Margot Kidder's death hit. So, God, I don't know what reporters are doing, but they're covering multiple stories at once. And this Nancy is in the middle of everything. So she was very, very busy, but she did that story with her, just did a little total brief interview about seeing D'Angelo for the first time. And I have to say that Nancy's done a really great job reporting. She's always nailed it. So really happy about that. I got done around three o'clock that day and had to drive home to Santa Cruz, which I was dreading because I knew I was going to hit traffic. But it, I got home. It take it seemed like it took forever. And now with some 2020 perspective, it was a it was a really intense weekend. That was an intense weekend. 
I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad I did get to see Delangelo for the first time. And I'm mostly glad that I got to sit with victim number one to do it because she is wonderful. And every time I see her now, I just, I adore her. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it. And I'm out. Until next time. Do, 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 do.